0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TraderCobb Crypto Show. I have got a pretty interesting guest for you all this show. It's Jean Viev. I'm sorry if I've mispronounced that, Laville. And she is an ex-banker who's uh, in the space now doing some pretty amazing things, working on a bunch of different bits and pieces, but the one we're going to sort of touch on a little bit. It's a project called AgriLegend. Now, Jean-Viev, if I have mispronounced your name, I apologize again. If I've done your introduction and no justice, I'm sure, please, if you wouldn't mind, first of all, thank you for being on the show. And secondly, if you could just introduce yourself, that'd be great because I sucked at it.
1: No, you were very good. You actually said it perfectly. So good morning, everybody. Good afternoon. Oh, as you say down under, good day, because we never know what time it is. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. I am so glad to finally get to speak with you. Unfortunately, missed you when I was in Melbourne. I hope to catch you when I'm back again in December. I'm coming for Startup Grind. Uh, cool. Yes. Yeah, so the APAC Startup Grind will be in December in Melbourne and I'm planning on coming here and maybe spend Christmas down under in the summer.
0: Well, it won't be as cold as where you're at, I'll tell you that much. It won't be as cold as over in the United Kingdom in that time of year when it's raining, wet, sleeting, snowing, and
1: Exactly. No, but thank you so much for having me. And as you said, I am involved in a number of projects. The one that's close to my heart is AgriLedger. And AgriLedger was born out of the how do I use this technology for something that I'm passionate about, which for me is very much about food. But it wasn't really just about me. It was how do I ensure that, like me, everyone has the ability to eat, and that we understand where it's coming from. And it was also looking at the space and saying that it's unfortunate that we're we're looking only at the financial transaction. The most important thing, having been a former banker, I know is data. You trust the data to make a payment. So rather than just looking at the payment. Aspect: How can I create, as we do with smart contract or triggers, the solution to make sure that the payment goes where it's supposed to go? That doesn't take away some of the human interaction, but at least it creates better trust. And the finally is that I also thought the banks, having worked in a bank, it's going to take them years, if but um, say probably decades before they can actually change a system to using this new technology, but they are very bullish on it and they understand the value. But if I can provide them data that they know has been sanctified, then it makes it better. It was interesting that yesterday there was an announcement that the Bank of England was actually going to allow for the real-time system to connect to blockchain technology or DLT transaction.
0: Jeez, I'm just flabbergasted.
1: Yeah, but it's necessary. I think that we, you know, cryptocurrencies or I think I'm not a fan of having too many of them because I can't remember which wallet has what. And when I have to scrape in into different wallets, it makes it, uh I lose money. But in reality, you do need to sort of look at the fiat uh, transaction. And I think that's why Ripple and Stellar which basically look at the crypto back to fiat are having, I don't think a resurgence, but they're becoming more and more known. So now I think that it behooves people who are doing projects to be able to look at a mechanism by which they can provide access to fiat. And it's really the data that they need to be making sure is correct and also sanctified.
0: Well, data is almost a new currency at the moment, isn't it? I mean, there's an attention currency, as in who has the most attention wins, uh, and there's also the data: who owns the data, who has the data, who has access to it. Because that's, I mean, computers—they're an extension of our body these days. We, we carry a phone. I mean, all you got to do is sit in the sit in the tube, the train, the underground, whatever you want to call it, whatever you are in the world, and you look around you, and it's very difficult to make eye contact. It's probably easier to put a Facebook post up to get eye contact with someone looking at your Facebook post than it is to actually make eye contact with the person that's right in front of you, three feet away. We're connected. We are so connected these days that the data, I mean, it's a third arm. It controls us to a certain degree. We're seeing addiction of attention. Uh, we see Facebook taking over the younger generations of millennials. We're seeing Instagram is the king. I mean, it's it, the world is changing very, very quickly, and I couldn't agree with you. More. Before we go any further, I just want to you, – you've – Got so many accolades. Okay, I want the audience to understand the caliber of woman that I'm speaking to. You've you've been nominated for awards left, right, and centre. You've been finalists for a gazillion different things. You're also in. I can't remember exactly what you're involved with the Treasury. I mean, why are you in this space now? Like from a banking background, you're an entrepreneur. You're you're a fintech, you know, wizard, a queen of of this space. What is it about blockchain that's that's really like why here? You can do anything. Like You can literally do anything. What is it about here that has your passion? You talked about your passion being food. I want to go into that as well, but you can choose anything. So, so why are you here?
1: Because it's the future. It is our future, and we can't run away from it. And uh, one of the things that I realized that I did throughout my career was I led people toward new di- – I did digital transformation. It was digital transformation could be moving from spreadsheet, pen and paper or adding machine to a computer. And taking people to that journey requires you to actually explain to them, demystify it, remove the the scaredness that they have of it. And I think that this is our future. And it is a very bright future because it is really one you no know, the blockchain is one part of the space. I think that we are about to have a synergy. It's almost like the cosmic breakthrough is about to happen. You have artificial intelligence or data that can be mined. The computers are big enough to be able to take all that data. Digital identity is finally becoming a reality. It's not becoming a reality because it wasn't working. It's now it's becoming imperative when you start looking at data protection laws. and. All of that, plus the blockchain, which is really, I think, a new mechanism for trust, allows us to be able to function much more efficiently and allow for that concept even of universal income to come through. So I am very excited. And for me, it's more a legacy, almost, I feel. It's not, I'm not doing this, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, I want to make lots of money the money comes great i want to be able to retire comfortably but more than anything else i want to make a difference and help people understand how this technology is going to affect them get government to understand how it's going to happen and trying to hide away from it is not the answer
0: I think that's a pretty good answer. I mean, and I feel like we're in, in some pretty good hands having somebody with your of your caliber. Because the thing is, is that a you've got to get the you, you've got to get the right people around the table, and then you've just got to make sure that at that moment, at that opportune moment, when you actually have the heads, the ears, the eyes, and the brains that are the you know whether they want to create the legislation or whether they're the uh, kingpins of of business or whoever they may be, the power brokers that we do see, whether it be government or you know as I say in big business, you've got to have the right. person to deliver that message and that message it needs to be delivered in a way that, like, 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 look at Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was phenomenal at his presentations because he got, he brought that down to, I can't remember what the scale is, but it's a level that like a grade seven student could listen to and understand. We don't need to demystify people by sounding like the smartest person in the room. We need to simplify this, that people are interested in all of the technology behind it, not the te- not the people that are going to be using it and the people that need to be implementing it. It's the people, those people need to understand, okay, let's, let's just do a very simple conjure And how A meets B. Let's make this a simple process. And understanding the technology is important for creating the projects and the infrastructures to make it work. But the conversation needs to be one that we can all understand together. Because if we don't, we don't move together as one. I think that's what we're lacking at the moment. Having people like you is a really important thing. So thank you.
1: You're welcome. No, and uh, I think that also some of the things that are happening, we're maturing. So when it comes to the ICO, or the tokenization, it is maturing. I've always been for tokenization because tokenization is a mechanism by which you record information that can then be trusted. So we've had token for a while. Now, some of the great technologies that have come out such as Ethereum and NEOs and others have taken it to where you can now look at fractionalization of shares. So. I'm very excited at this technology being used as a mechanism to provide funding for a form of crowdfunding, but where the crowd is not getting some shit little gift at the end, but something really (laughs) worthwhile, and also can continue to be part of the journey of that entrepreneur. So these are great things, but I think that it's important for us to really get our governments into that space and understanding how it fosters. So one of the fortunate things that has happened to me is I've been, become very involved with China. And, you know, we, we heard the headlines last year about block ICOs becoming absolutely legal. But when we looked down, it was they, they were very ingenious. They made it very easy for grandma to actually buy tokens for any coins that she wanted. So you had people really investing into the wrong instrument. But what's very interesting is that the government, however, is very, very bullish on the technology. And there is a lot of support. Uh, We don't hear a lot about all the different sandboxes that they have. And what I've also been observing is how they are actually structuring their tokens is very different than how we structure them in the West. In the West, you issue a bunch of token and you try to sell all of them, or you burn them. There, they are issuing billions and then they gradually re, uh, release them, which means that they are looking at this as a long-term instrument for actually funding the company. So there's a lot to be learned from that, and I've been paying attention to see how does that. And also, what I'm finding is, as a result, they don't go for the big raises. They don't try and get 50 million. They'll go 3 million. They do that with institutional investors, which is legal. And from there, they then have a number of KPIs that have to be met by the company, be it against a token or delivery of certain item before they are allowed to do another tranche.
0: Yes, well that that makes a lot of sense, and it's it's actually something that's been brought up in a couple of conversations that I've had with projects here, here, in, actually here in Sydney, Australia, of you know KPIs being met. That way you can unlock more tokens, and that way you have a value, so it can help to fund the project going forward. But first, you need to provide or prove that there is actually value in the tokens that you have uh, before you can go ahead and unlock more. I mean, the, the way market cap is realized at the moment is pretty wishy washy. It, it's a bit. It's a bit difficult to take as a metric for an investment seriously. It can be quite tricky. It's not my strong point going through the tokenomics. I'm more of a trader side of it, but I do, I do see – You know, I don't call myself an expert in the space, but I'm also not, uh, not somebody who's completely clued out. I was in Hong Kong just just recently. And funny, like just sort of going on from what you were just sort of saying there, Jean-Vierve, about um, the the fact that China does things differently. There's a lot of projects there that are going on that we don't even know about in the Western world that are completely innovative and and they do things differently and they're operating out through, they're operating in China, but it's kind of like... um, what's it called, the the World Series of Baseball in America. It's called the World Series, but nobody else has any part to play in it, right? (laughs) China has their own World Series of cryptocurrency, blockchain investment and crypto assets that we're not even included in. And it's quite fascinating.
1: And I have been lucky uh, that I'm actually getting to play a little bit in that game. I've been asked by several projects to be an advisor, and I am working with also uh, blockchain I would say bottom chain technology, which means that it is used for the issuance or the transactioning, which is called AC Chain. And I'm working with them in terms of solidifying the platform, making sure that we also can get our knowledge from external, you know, outside of China to use it. And as you say, there's so many projects. There's one that I'm looking at, which is around fraud. It's looking at tagging in a very different way to be able to create trust in the luxury goods that we buy. So it's really brand management. There are some around agriculture, which are amazing, which are looking at using latest technology in something called PV6, which is basically allows you to take data at an infinite level through the internet to push back. And that's something that they're working with the government in the sandbox. So and those are just the tip of the iceberg. I went to a conference in Macau and there were over 10,000 people in attendance and it was a blockchain.
0: Wow, that's bigger than consensus.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the best part about it, though, was the 70, 80 year old grandmas. So they called them the crypto grandmas, which were there. It was amazing. But I think that we do need to, you know. I went to a conference which said something very interesting. It said, it's no longer copy to China, it's copy from China.
0: Ah, that's a paradigm shift for our brains to take on board, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and uh, I think we should be looking at it. They are doing a lot of innovative things, and one of the things that is very key for them is efficiency. They have so many people, and... The approach, I mean, as an American, it's been very interesting to sort of learn the approach to work and how things are. We, American and Australian, are very similar in that we try something and if it fails, we actually spend some time, not a lot, not a lot of regret, looking at what has actually gone on. With China, if it goes wrong, they just move out. They move away from it and they don't spend time regretting which allows them to pick up and go
0: make more mistakes faster
1: exactly and they work so many more hours than we do i mean they are working average of 12 hours and they also realize that if they don't put in these hours somebody else is going to get to the prize first so i have learned to survive on four hours of sleep
0: (laughs) So have I. (laughs) It's very very Silicon Valley-esque, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is back to, I was lucky to be in Silicon Valley in 2000. And what I say is the fundamental difference at that time during the dot-com years is that you either had to be very lucky to be in the right place, have lots of money, or really at the end where you made a difference, and that's where I made a difference, was working within organization as a change agent. Nowadays, you can get access. And that's why I love working with big company. I could get access to people. I needed information. I could call in and really get to collaborate. Nowadays, you have to do it in an open environment. So which means we all have the opportunity to be successful, but you've got to grab it by the, you know, basically for the ride. It's a wild and fun ride and you just have to go for it.
0: Tell me about it. <laughs> I'm on the same roller coaster as you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm loving it. But, you know, there are going to be days where you're just screaming your head off and you just wish you could get off. But at the end of the day, I think that this is we are about to finish the infrastructure. And once the infrastructure is done, it is going like to be like the Internet. You know, who would have imagined the way we travel today?
0: Well, that's right. I mean, look, you, I, honestly, everybody who's listening to this show now probably knows what's coming next, John Viva. I, I ask every – and look, this is honestly, you've just given me the best segue ever. <laughs> I tend to uh, – for all guests, I go into a final question, which is we do compare a lot the the internet and blockchain, the rise of the dot-com to the you know subsequent rise of crypto that we're seeing now. Of course, the dot-com era was well before 1993, but it was when – you know, we started to see commerce and and it sort of go mainstream and be actually used was about 1993 with the crescendo ending about 2000. Obviously, with the bust that went on through the madness there. Now, you were in Silicon Valley in the year 2000, which is very very interesting because it probably places you as one of the best, if not the best, to answer the question. Are we at 1993, 2000, or a year in the middle? Where do you think we are? I'm not talking about cryptocurrency. I'm talking about blockchain. I'm talking about crypto assets. Where do you think we are between 1993 and the year 2000 if we are to use the dot-com boom as as a yardstick?
1: So uh, a couple of months ago, I was saying 96. Now I think we're at 97 by end of 97, and we will be seeing, based on what happens in the fall, I'm expecting August and September to be a crescendo of noise and we'll hit 98 by then.
0: So you're saying that every two months we see a year (laughs) in the (laughs) dot-com? Yeah, look, it happens. I really think that we'll see the run up of madness happen a lot faster than the dot com because you know the concept of using your computer to do something the concept of technology uh you know revolutionizing the way that we do things well we've already had that first wave we've got whole generations like my own that have had computers like from you know from when i was in school as a a primary school kid we had those big apple ones that you know the big apple computers that had the blue or green or yellow box thing on the you know they had the color on the side that that's that's kind of my era right uh, and then we've got the generation prior to me which is sort of the millennials that are a little bit younger than me and they've pretty much grown up with the iphone so technology and the grip that it can have on us the change that it can provide it, it's not like you know it's not like 1984 or 1990 where we used to have this this concept of people being able to talk to each other on the phone and see each other that's not even a concept that, that, that's happening we could do that right now so i think that the that we will see it develop and be taken up very, 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 very quickly, faster than what we did of the incident and the dot-com. And I think people need to be equipped, educated, ready, and be aware that you can get caught with your pants down. So always have an exit strategy if you're there for speculative purposes. Yes. So is there anything else that you wanted to bring to our attention while we have you?
1: No, I am uh, just looking forward to meeting you when I'm back in your lovely part of the world.
0: Me too. I'd tell you, I'm looking out the window right now, it's dusk, the sun is setting, it's a beautiful evening, and uh, I am very lucky to be where I am, and I look forward to meeting you when you get to Melbourne.
1: Thank you so much for your time and it's been a great conversation. Hey, if
0: anybody wants to find anything else more about you, where do they find you?
1: Oh, you can find me all over the place. I am on Twitter as uh, Ginu in London. I need to change that one. Jean Vierge on uh, LinkedIn. I apologize to everybody. I need, you know, my next thing is going to be a communication tool which puts all your email and everything into one place so you can answer. I'm also doing a number of presentations in the coming weeks. So uh, happy to meet everyone and anyone, but LinkedIn is actually really good.
0: Keep your ears to the ground. Join on LinkedIn. That's what you've got to be doing. She'll be around the place at all sorts of shows. You want to listen to what this powerful woman has to say, uh, as do I. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on this show. Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you and all the best success going forward.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, guys. Okay, bye for now.
1: The Trader Cob Crypto Podcast is hosted by Craig Cobb. All Trader Cob courses, products and tools can be found at TraderCobb.com because experience matters.
0: Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Views are of the advertiser, not Trader Cob or the audio presenter.